Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Since February is the month that uh, we have a holiday designated to celebrate romantic love, we're beginning a brand new series this morning that I'm excited about, where we're going to see what God's Word has to say on this topic. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at a book in the Old Testament called Song of Solomon. Some of your Bibles might call it Song of Songs. But before we begin, I need to go over some ground rules, okay? Uh, first, the first ground rule for this series is this. During this series, you're not allowed to think about how it applies to someone else, okay? In other words, no, 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 did you write that down? All right, all right, none of that. Um, second ground rule is this, you're not allowed to look back. You're not allowed to look back. This is a topic where perhaps some of you have experienced some pain, some heartache, maybe even a sense of failure. So uh, when talking about relationships, Going forward, you might be tempted to uh, filter that uh, through your past experiences, uh, failed relationship experiences. And so please don't do that. Don't do that. Here's why. God makes all things new. Amen? So we serve a God of fresh starts, a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. So we're not looking back. We're looking forward at what God has for you. Okay? The third ground rule is... I'm going to do my best to stay true to what the Bible says on this topic, specifically what's said in this specific book. So, parents, listen up. If you haven't read the Song of Solomon, or maybe it's been a while since you've read it, I want to encourage you to do so. But I want to warn you up front, this book doesn't pull any punches on the topic of love and marriage. In fact, in two weeks, we're going to be uh, talking about this couple that is described here, Solomon and his wife. Uh, there's a chapter that talks about their honeymoon night, and that date would be February 27th, guys, if you want to put that on your Google calendar. Uh, in fact, there's a place in that part of the book where it says that they made love all night long, all night. Lionel Richie didn't come up with that. God came up with that, all right? Now, having said that, uh, let me say that everything that we talk about will be both biblical and appropriate, all right? And honestly, we think here at Family Church, we think that the best place for your children to learn about this topic is in the church. For too, way too long, we have allowed the world, the internet, the locker room, the hallways at school to educate our kids on this. And that, no, no, no. It's time for that to change. Time for that to change. Since romantic love was God's idea, we would be much better served letting him define this subject for us. And that's exactly what we're going to do in this series. So parents, again, read this book, and I'll let you decide if you want, in two weeks, if you want your child to be in here where we, we're going to be talking about the specific act of marriage, okay? So if you want your child to not be in here, I've talked with Seth and Gage. They're going to have a class right out in the, the, uh, the lounge. Uh, but personally, I believe that, look, I sub, hey, I sub in the middle school. I, I know what they talk about, Okay? But I, we're going to leave that up to you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it appropriately and biblically. I'm just, I'm just saying, okay? Uh, and if you haven't yet, this might be a good time to have the talk with your child, okay? So um, as we study this book, you need to understand that it's really a song. In fact, like I said, some, some 
Bibles titled this book The Song of Songs. Solomon wrote a lot of songs, a lot of songs. Uh, but this was the best. That's why it says Song of Songs. It's like we call Jesus uh, King of Kings and, and Lord of Lords. Like he's the best of the best. In, in, in the book of 1 Kings, it says that Solomon wrote 1,005 songs. Think about that. But this was his best one. In his, in his mind, this was his best and favorite one. Thus the title, Song of Songs. And in this song, Solomon describes human love with this one thought in mind that God's approach to love and lovemaking not only works, it's way, way better than the world's way. All right, in this song, there are three characters mentioned. There's the lover, which is referring to Solomon. Uh, there's the beloved, uh, or Solomon's wife, who's also called the, the Shulamite maiden. And then there's the, some, they say friends or daughters. Uh, some translations say maidens of Jerusalem. And this is, these are kind of like the supporting cast of the story. They're good friends of Solomon and his wife. So when you, and if you've ever done this, you read through this, this book, and it can get kind of confusing because sometimes the narrative switches and you don't know who's talking, all right? Sometimes in the very same verse. So I've done the hard work to kind of sort that out, and I'll try to make it a point to let you know when the narrative switches and who's talking, okay? So the theme of this love story or this book is found in the first three verses. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Solomon's Song of Songs, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And boy, we're getting off to a good start, aren't we? For your love is more delightful than wine. Now, this is the wife talking, and she's, she's complimenting Solomon and the fact that he's figured out this, this topic of love better than anyone else. But she's not, listen, she's not just talking about physical love. She's talking about just the way that he relates to people, not just her, people in general. And we know that from the, the next verse in her statement, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes, or today we would say cologne since it's talking about Solomon. But it's not just talking about fragrance in the sense of smell. This is an allegorical way of describing how pleasing his presence is. And see, this is something that we should all aspire to, that we, that we might acquire or command the same honor and respect that Solomon had. So that when we walk into a room or we walk into the house at the end of the day coming home from work or we walk into church on Sunday morning, that, that we too are learning the art of loving well, not just, not just in the physical sense, but in the sense of honor and respect to the point, to the point that people just enjoy being around you, all right? Show me a person that you like being around, and I'll show you someone who has learned to love well. She continues, so much, he, she, he does this so well, so much so that just the mention of your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you, but they can't have you because you're all mine. That's what she's saying there. Treat, treating people uh, well is just as much an, an art of physical love or an act of physical love as lovemaking is. The next verses uh, launch us into the first topic of our series. In verse 4, she says, take me away with you, let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers, and that's talking about the bedroom, and now we come to the first place where the narrative switches, and it's not his wife, but some of their close friends, the daughters or maidens of Jerusalem talking. They say, we rejoice and delight in you. In other words, they're admiring the type of love that Solomon and this woman and his wife have for each other. They're just kind of stepping back, man, you guys have something special here. 
We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. And now this narrative switches back to the wife, the Shulamite woman. And she starts talking about the, the topic of attraction. And she says, dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem. And what she's saying here, she's saying, you know, I'm not much to look at, but I'm still lovely. In other words, what she's saying is a lot of people are attracted to the wrong thing. But, but, but not my man. Uh-uh, not my man. And it continues, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the, the tent curtains of Solomon. And both of those analogies were completely black. She says, do not stare at me. In other words, don't look at the wrong thing because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. Now, see, today we think dark is good. That's why we have tanning booths. The darker, the better, right? Back then, being dark was kind of labeling you as, as working class. It was not a desirable thing because it meant you had to work out in the fields. And if you worked out in the fields, not only was your skin dark, you, you were probably, it had wrinkles and cracks and, and it was maybe tough. So, so she's saying, look, don't look at my outward appearance. In another place in the Bible, we're told that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. She's saying that we need to make sure we're looking at the right things. Then in the next verse, she explains why she's so dark. My mother's sons, and she's talking about her stepbrothers, were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard. And the vineyard referencing here is talking about her own body. In other words, she's saying, I can't help it that I look like this. But you know what? I made some decisions beyond my body that can make me attractive. In other words, she's saying, if you're going to have a godly relationship, it's got to be based on more than just physical attraction. The physical aspect of love has its place, but it shouldn't be our focus. And she continues in verse 7. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday, why should I be like a veiled woman? And here she's referring to the prostitutes who would, the prostitutes had their faces veiled and they would come out. They would actually come out during the day and just kind of hang out at the side of the, the fields and the crops waiting for the guys to get off work who were looking for some love, right? The Shulamite woman says, I'm not going to be like that. I'm not going to be like that. And that was attractive to Solomon. With Solomon's resources and money, he could have had any of them, but he didn't want them. He wanted someone special. So put these few verses to, uh, together in this first chapter. And, and basically what it's saying is our first point of attraction should not be outward or physical, but inner beauty or spiritual attraction. When it comes to a romantic relationship, listen up, especially you young people. One of the most attractive things that you can offer someone in a relationship is your love for God. You can tell a lot about a person's love for God and how they worship, how they worship him. When it comes to pursuing romance, spiritual attraction should be your first priority. So how do we become more spiritually attractive? I'm going to give you three things that you can do to make you more spiritually attractive. First, love and worship God. Just, just love and worship God. If, because if you genuinely love Jesus, you'll be attracted, attracted to others who express their love for Jesus through praise and worship, their adoration of God through praise and worship. When I first met my wife, it was at, it was at a, a chapel service at Christ for the Nations. Her roommate was dating my roommate, and, and that's kind of how we were introduced so I was sitting right next to her during the praise and worship time. And I thought, man, and I saw her worship. I thought, wow, this gal really loves Jesus. This gal really loves Jesus. I mean, it didn't hurt that she was easy on the eyes, too. But, 
you know, this, this works both ways. If, if you're a God-fearing girl, you should be attracted to a guy who isn't ashamed to express his love and adoration to God through praise and worship, and vice versa. When you read in the Psalms, this is interesting, when you read in the Psalms, you'll come across a lot of different expressions of praise and worship. Many of those same expressions, expressions of praise and worship that are listed in the Psalms, we actually see at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday afternoons. Isn't it funny, though, it's okay on Sunday afternoons, but on Sunday morning we get all conservative. Huh? Hello? We get all conservative. Those things are fine on Sunday afternoon, but nope, Sunday morning, nope, nope. Not going not gonna to get fanatical, right? So let me challenge you, especially you guys, when it comes to your expression of love and adoration for God, get your hands out of your pockets. Get your hands out of your pocket. And look, look, I get it. I, when, first time I came to a church that did that, I was, I was creeped out. I was looking for an egg. I, I had never seen anything like that before, right? So, so I'm not saying you got to come here first, but I'm saying if you've been coming here for a while, come on, man, take a step of faith. You know, you, you can start out just carrying the baby. <laughs> Carry the baby. And then after a couple of weeks, you get a little comfortable. You can say, my fish was this big. And then when you really cut loose, touchdown. touchdown. I stole that from Tim, Tim Hawkins. Seriously, one of the most attractive things in the world to your wife or your future wife is not just your love for God, but your expression of your love for God. Another thing you can do to be spiritually attractive is to pursue your God-given purpose. In other words, begin living for something beyond you. And the best way that you can do that here, because we, we actually give you an opportunity to do that here every Sunday on one of our dream teams, because we promote this thing about serve one and worship one, right? Come and serve in one of the services and then worship in another. So, we, 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 man, you give you two opportunities to learn how to be more spiritually attractive every Sunday morning here, right? Love and worship God. Pursue your God-given purpose. And then thirdly, have godly standards. If you want to be spiritually attractive, you've got to have godly standards. And, and those godly standards need to be made known from the outset of the relationship. Ladies, you need to let them know that it's a dating relationship, not a marriage relationship. So there are boundaries, there are standards that need to be established up front. And you need to do this because if you don't, those standards, those boundaries will be set by your passions and your attraction to each other, and that never ends well. That never ends well. If you go out with someone a couple times and there seems to be a connection growing, you need to have that conversation to set some of those boundaries. And if you continue to date, you can tell him, if you like it, then you can put a ring on it. <laughs> Seriously, don't, don't do something that is outside the will of God in your dating relationship because that never ends well. When it comes to romantic relationships, spiritual attraction should be your first prior priority. All right, let's read more of this, this love song. Solomon speaking now in verse 9. I liken you, again, this is Solomon, I liken you, my darling. That word darling is interesting in the Hebrew because it speaks of this like an endearing friend, right? You know, they're soon going to enjoy a physical relationship, yes. But for Solomon, see, this is more than just a physical connection. She's his best friend. She's his, she's his companion. And this is the part that's missing in so many struggling marriages today. The couple might love each other physically, physically, but they don't like each other anymore. And if you don't like each other, the physical part will eventually lose its attraction as well. 
Solomon continues. He says, I liken you to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Okay, guys, word of warning. You might not want to call your wife a horse. It worked 3,000 years ago. Not so much today. Some context here. Pharaoh's chariots had horses that no one else in the world had. They were the best horses money could buy. Beautiful, thoroughbred Arabian horses. So Solomon's calling his wife priceless. He says, you're priceless to me. I'm fortunate to have you. Verse 10, your cheeks are beautiful with earrings. I don't know what that's about. But but notice, long before he ever touches her, notice the tenderness as he compliments her. Your neck with, with strings of jewels. Verse 11. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. In the next verse, the narrative switches back to the the wife, the Shulamite woman. In verse 12, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. This this is an allegorical way of saying that Solomon, every chance that Solomon got, he he would brag on his wife. He would compliment her and proclaim his love and adoration for her. And she's letting him know how much that meant to her. Verse 13, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Now, I don't know what a sachet of myrrh is, but I'm sure Solomon was glad that he was one that day. (laughs) And I've been waiting all week to use that line on you guys. I'm just saying. (laughs) What she's saying is, even when we're apart, I'm thinking about you. I'm holding you close in my mind, my heart. I just just can't wait to, to see you again. Verse 14, my beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms, those little red flowers from the vineyards of Engedi. What she's saying here is what we have is more than just a physical attraction. We also have, and this is the second point, emotional attraction. Just like the physical part of marriage needs to be nurtured and developed, so also does your emotional connection. See, this, this is another area where so many couples drop the ball because most couples fail to recognize how important this is in the relationship. And look, this isn't just for women. Us guys have emotional, we may may never admit it, but guys have emotional needs as well. They're just different. Our needs are different. So I'm going to give you three things that you can do to develop this emotional attraction. First, value them. When Solomon told his wife she was like one of Pharaoh's horses, he was telling her, man, you're the best, honey. You are the best. I, I am so fortunate that you are mine, that I have you as my wife. Some of you ladies right now are thinking, no, he's not the best. He may not be the worst, but he ain't the best. Okay, listen up, guys, gals. If you don't like what you're seeing in your husband or wife, then maybe you should listen to what you're saying. Because your words, specifically what you say to and about your spouse, that has more power than you realize. Begin to speak to him. Begin to speak to her in a way that will encourage them, that they'll aspire to become what you're speaking over them. Begin begin talking to them in a way that you would like for them to become. And they'll start moving that direction, usually without even realizing it. say, well, pastor, I'm not going to lie about them. That's not lying. That's raising their value. You're not lying. You're raising their value. You're you're honoring them. Look, even if they don't deserve to be honored right now, See, this is the part of of love. Remember that whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul gives us a complete chapter defining biblical love. Verse 7 in that passage says this. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things, endures all things. Whether they, listen, whether they deserve it or not, when you honor someone, you're not lying or living in denial. You're raising their value. So to develop emotional attraction, value your mate. Second, speak life to them. Speak life to them. Literal translation, don't focus on the things they do wrong. Focus on who they are. Focus on that, that person that attracted you to them in the first place. Occasionally, you'll hear, me, you'll hear me refer to my smoking hot wife, and she doesn't like me to say that because it embarrasses her. But that is one way that I'm, I'm letting you know that, hey, I value her, right? Not just physically, not just physically, but her whole being. And, and, I, and I should probably balance the smoking hot compliment with, with compliments about how gracious and graceful she is, because she is. She is. And I don't say this very often. Uh, I probably should say it more. But one of my wife's greatest attributes, and this is huge considering what I do as a spiritual leader, my wife never undresses me in public. By that I mean to say she never says anything bad or negative about me. In 42 and a half years, she has never, ever said anything bad about me in public. And that's huge. And I'm sorry, honey, I probably don't tell you that enough, but I do appreciate that, right? And it's not because she couldn't. <laughs> she just chooses not to because she honors and values me. Right? She speaks about me in a way that causes me to aspire what she says about me. You know what? I actually do this about you. Right? See, I, you guys come here on Sunday. I know you all messed up. A bunch of sinners. Right? <laughs> I, I, was a, I, I sinned this last week, right? But when you come here on Sunday morning, I don't say, you know what? Y'all just be glad that God doesn't send you down to the lake of fire and brimstone. Nah. <laughs> I don't tell you who you are. I tell you who you can become. I tell you who you can become. Because the more I do that, the more you'll be motivated to leave who you were and become who God called you to be. And I'm preaching about 93% better than you're responding. That's all I'm saying. And ladies, here's a tip for you. Don't focus on who your man is. Focus on what he does. See, see lady, ladies like to be admired for who, they like to be hired for, for who, uh, admired for who they are. Not us guys. We're too shallow for that. No. We like to be admired for what we do. Right? That's why when I'm done mowing the lawn, I'll go, get, look at them lines. Look at them. She's like, man, look at my man. Can my man mow or what? <laughs> Seriously, this, this, this is really more important. I, I'm kind of making light of it, but this is huge. Here's why. Guys, if you don't tell her, gals, if you don't tell him, someone else will. Because adultery, listen, Adultery never or seldom starts out as a physical attraction. Adultery almost always, always, always starts out because there was an emotional void in the relationship, in the marriage, and the devil is always waiting to bring someone along to fill that void and tell him or tell her how great they are. And if there's been a void there for a while, as soon as someone fills it, that's attractive. That's attractive. And if entertained, that will eventually lead to the physical attraction. Guys, do you realize that some of the sexiest words that your wife will ever hear you say are, tell me more. Tell me. No, and, and then what happened? 
I'm serious. When was the last time, guys, because usually when that kind of, you know, it's like during the commercial of the game, right? Well, well, yeah, okay. No, 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 really, tell me more. Tell me more. I mean, that's like, that'll probably, she'll be like, what? Who's this? What'd you do with my husband? (laughs) Engaging with her, looking her in the eyes, acknowledging her. Seriously. Because you know what? You can be ugly as sin. You could, you could like fall out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down and they'll still fall in love with you. <laughs> that, that, that's how strong that is. That's how strong that emotional need is. Because you fill the void in their life. Value them. Speak life to them. And then think good thoughts about them. At home, Solomon's wife was thinking good thoughts about him. She chose to believe the best about him. If Solomon was running late some evening from work, instead of thinking bad thoughts, she took her thoughts captive. She, she had a sachet of myrrh between her breasts, choosing to believe the best about him. This is important because if you're not careful, the devil, again, the devil's going to create a narrative in your mind about your spouse that's not true. All right, let's continue on. Verse 15. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful your eyes are doves. The narrative's back with Solomon now, and he's starting to get to the physical part of the attraction uh, to his wife. But notice where his admiration starts. It's the eyes. Ancient rabbis taught that the eyes revealed the inner soul of a person, and Solomon compliments her eyes. I mentioned earlier how one of the things that attracted me to Sue was, was you know, her love for God expressed in, in, in praise and worship. But when I first met her, before the music started up and we started praising it was her eyes, her big, brown, beautiful eyes. That, that's what attracted me to her. Right. The narrative switches back to, to her now, to the, the wife, as she says, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. This would be better translated, our, our, our bed is in, inviting. In other words, they're wanting to begin the physical part of the relationship. Verse 17 Fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house, and pleasant-smelling firs are the rafters. And you're like, what? The allegory here is basically endorsing the physical attraction between a husband and wife. I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but God created sex. That was his idea. That was his idea. Adam and Eve didn't stumble upon that. It was God's idea. Don't ever feel bad about being sexually attracted to someone, but be careful. Be careful. Because the beauty and grace of sex is directly linked to the boundaries that God, not me, that God placed on it. The enemy is the one who's tried to pollute it and pervert it. The way that sex remains beautiful and not perverted is making sure it's approached properly and framed and constructed the right way. That's why they mentioned the beams and the rafters. This leads us to the third attraction, which is the physical, the physical attraction. Again, we're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks. For this morning, I want you to note that because they approach this part of their relationship the right way, notice what she says about herself in verse, chapter 2, verse 1. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Then the narrative skips back to Solomon speaking of his wife. He says, like a lily among the thorns is my darling among the young women. Remember how early on in the chapter, in, in, in chapter 1, how her, her, she had such a low self-esteem? Remember she talked about that? How, how she was so dark from working out in the fields? 
But because of the way that they kept things in order as they pursued this relationship, because they did it God's way, the right way, they're about to experience the fulfillment that comes from engaging in the act of marriage the right way, God's way. Verse 5, chapter 2. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. And that's one funny line right there, I'm telling you. I mean, I don't know about you. I didn't take any raisins or apples on my honeymoon. Anyone else take any? Some context here. Uh, in that day and culture, raisins were considered to be an aphrodisiac. Today we would have said, go get the chocolate truffles and the oysters. Right? They, were, they were both engulfed with passion at this point. The refresh me with apples is... Sound a little odd too, but basically she's telling Solomon, come on, let's go. Let's go. And in the next verse, we see that she didn't have to tell him twice. Verse 6, his left arm is under my head and his right arm embraces me. I don't think I need to add much commentary to this other than to say, as we said back in the 70s, they assumed the make-out position. But notice the next verse. Notice the next verse. Daughters of Jerusalem. The unmarried, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, some translations say, before its time. Now listen to me, especially you young people. This is, poor, this is important. Here's what this verse is saying. It's saying like sex is good, even amazing, but it has its place. And even though it's a gift from God for our fulfillment, because think about that, Again, God didn't have to create us for the capacity for fulfillment in that area. He didn't have to do that, but he did. Sex was his idea. Man didn't come up with that. God didn't stumble across Adam and Eve over in the bushes one day. OMG! <laughs> Sex was his idea. He came up with that. But, listen, because it was his idea, he gets to make the rules. Because he knows what works best. And the most important overriding rule is this right here. And this is going to be hard for some of you to accept. But I didn't, I didn't make up the rules. God did. Sex is reserved for the marriage relationship. And if you approach it outside the guidelines and boundaries that he, not me, that he put around it, I'm sorry you're violating God's word. Does God still love you? Absolutely. I still love you. This, this isn't about love, right? This is about obedience to God. So you need to invite God into that conversation. Now, some of you probably have a lot of things going through your mind right now, especially some of you that maybe have crossed that line or some of you that might be thinking, Pastor, you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You know, these things that you talk about, I'm sorry, they ain't going to work in our marriage. They ain't going to work in our relationship. Those things are a pipe dream. If that's you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to remove this from, from the context of you and your spouse. And I want you to view it in the context of your relationship with God. When I came to God, I was a mess. I was immoral. I was unfaithful. I was selfish. There was nothing about me that was attractive to God. Nothing. God had every right to take a look at me and said, nah. I'll, pay, I'll pass. And he would have been right to do so. But you know what? 
he took a chance on me, just like he took a chance on you. He decided to love me in spite of all that I wasn't, despite how messed up and unfaithful and hurtful I had been to him. Why? Why did he do that? Because he knew that if I would respond to his unconditional agape love the right way, that it would change me and help me become the person that he wanted me to become, who he created me to become. That was August of 1976, 46 years ago. Man, I still have a long way to go. A long way to go. But I got to be honest, his love, his love for me didn't just change my life. It saved my life, literally. It saved my life. So if these things that I've talked about this morning sound impossible for you in your marriage, that's because they are without him. Without him. So I'm inviting you to let God work in your marriage, in your life. And if you do, here's what I promise will happen. You'll come to love not by finding the perfect person, but by seeing the imperfect person perfectly. Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I first want to pray for all the married couples, all the, even the dating couples, all the singles, all of us that have tried doing it the world's way, but from now on, God, we want to do it your way. We want to do it God's way. Help us to begin to approach our love relationships according to your word and, and, and the things that we looked at this morning, recognizing that romantic love was your idea in the first place. And that it can be beautiful when it's done your way. I pray for fresh starts as we embrace the truth that you're able to make all things new again. And while your heads are still bowed and eyes are closed, if you're here today or part of our eCampus church watching online and there's something in you that, that's drawn to God, maybe you're a Christian, maybe not. You just know that right now that relationship is not where it needs to be. But you'd like to make that right this morning. If that's you, I'd like to lead you in a prayer where you can connect or reconnect with God who invites you to call him Heavenly Father. The Bible says that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. So I just ask you to just repeat this prayer after me. It's not the words, it's just believing in your heart what you're about to pray. To say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. I confess that you are Lord, my Lord, and I believe that you rose from the dead for me. And now I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to come live inside of me, inside of my heart, by your Holy Spirit, and help me begin living my life for you. I receive your life right now, and I give you my life in return. In Jesus' name, amen.